So if anybody's finding it difficult to find the book of Nahum, it's after Micah. If you find Micah and a little bit before Zechariah and Haggai. Um, so, so Nahum chapter 1. In this book, it begins with the words, the burden against Nineveh. The burden against Nineveh. And if we think of Nineveh, we're probably immediately thinking of the book of Jonah. This is probably what our minds go to immediately. And when we think of this city, it was, it's, it was a great city. A great city. A capital of a great and mighty empire. The most impressive empire upon the earth at that time. This is before the time of the Babylonian Empire before the Persian Empire, long before the Roman Empire. And as we think about Jonah, we may sympathize with him and we may not sympathize with him. And you think, how could we sympathize with him? Well, this was a bloodthirsty and a very cruel regime. They were not kind to those who stood in their way. And there's a certain human sense in which you can kind of understand why Jonah did not want to go. Now we rejoice in the compassion that God showed in Jonah, don't we, to Nineveh. And Jonah was certainly wrong not to rejoice in that compassion as well. But that was then and this is now. There's about 200 years have passed from the time of Jonah to this, to this burden of Nahum the Elkishite, as he's called here in verse 1. About 200 years have passed. Nahum has a different message. A different message for Assyria and Nineveh. Nineveh now being its capital. A message of unavoidable destruction. Destruction is coming to Nineveh. There's no way to avoid it. It is a city of destruction. It is a city, you could say, to flee. It is a city to run away from. And we may think in 2022, why are we looking at such a book? Why are we thinking of this prophecy hundreds of years ago, thousands of years ago now? But this is us all outside of Christ. This is every single person. This is every single sinner outside of Jesus Christ. But for the grace of God, so would we be. So as we look at the bad news, and we're going to look at some bad news here this morning, we're also going to have some good news as well. Good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ and how people are delivered. So let us read now Nahum chapter 1. We're going to read from verses 1 to 8. Let us hear God's holy word. The burden against Nineveh, the book of the vision of Nahum the Elkishite. God is jealous and the Lord avenges. The Lord avenges and is furious. The Lord will take vengeance on his adversaries. And he reserves wrath for his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power. And will not at all acquit the wicked. The Lord has his way in the whirlwind and in the storm. And the clouds are the dust of his feet. He rebukes the sea and makes it dry. And dries up all the rivers. Bashan and Carmel wither, the flower of Lebanon wilts. The mountains quake before him, the hills melt, 
And the earth heaves at his presence. Yes, the world and all who dwell in it. Who can stand before his ignition? And who can endure the fierceness of his anger? His fury is poured out like fire. And the rocks are thrown down by him. The Lord is good. A stronghold in a day of trouble. And he knows those who trust in him. But with an overflowing flood, he will make an utter end of its place. And darkness will pursue his enemies. And may the Lord bless the reading of his word to our souls. Many years ago, I heard of a movement. Uh, It was a church planting movement. And they would go from area to area and they would do surveys. They would ask the people in the area, well, what would you like in church? What would you, what kind of music would you like? Uh, How much of a sermon do you want? All these kind of questions. Um, And these would often be areas of no church background. And I guess where you think where I'm going with this How should we feel about something of that nature? Thinking about the unbeliever first, rather than God. And I have no doubt that there are still such movements taking place. But as as believers in Jesus Christ... We may not know where to put our finger at first, but something doesn't sit right with us. Such thinking makes us feel uncomfortable. And why is that? Well, why should it make us feel uncomfortable? Uh, the motivation is wrong. The motivation is wrong. And I ask you here this morning, as we're here in Carrickfergus, to worship our God in heaven. Why are you here? Now, regardless of the reasons you're here, you're more than welcome. You're most welcome to come here. But still, the question remains, why are you here? What is your motivation for getting out of bed on a Sunday morning and bringing yourself here? And there are many possible good reasons. There are many possible good reasons that we could give. To learn about God, to learn about salvation, uh, to be blessed by the word of God, uh, to meet people. uh, All good reasons in in their own right. Um, But there's still another reason that's the most important reason of all why we should be here. To glorify God. To glorify God. That is the most important reason and motivation for us all to be here. To meet and commune and enjoy sweet sweet fellowship with our God in heaven. Yes, there are personal blessings. Wonderful blessings. And that's a good reason to be here. We will learn things by God's grace. Uh, There is wonderful fellowship to be had among the saints. But above all those reasons. To glorify God. To exalt his name. To make much of him. The glory of God is really important to God. Isn't it? If we read through the scriptures. It's very important to him. So must it be to us his people therefore whether you eat or drink or whatever you do do all to the glory of God 1st Corinthians 10 31 our text here this morning teaches us about our God and about his glory 
all that he does, all that we love to think about, salvation, a heaven to come, he does all those things for his glory, but he also does the things we don't like to think about. God's wrath, judgment, these things, they're not pleasant topics. But all these things are done for his glory. So let us see how this prophecy against Nineveh, stubborn Nineveh, that this really, at its core, is all about his glory. And that's our title for this morning's message. For his glory. Number one. Our first title, our first heading is this. Jealous for his glory. Jealous for his glory. Now as we read this, I want you to think of what do people normally think of as jealous. So it says here, verse 2, God is jealous and the Lord avenges. God is jealous. In a common usage in the world, jealousy is not seen as a good thing, is it? It's not typically seen. It's, it's seen as petty, it's seen as not nice, and it's seen as very me-centered. But, that, but there is a sense in which a humorous perspective, we could think about this, of where jealousy is understandable. If we think, if you're married, if you're married, you share a very special covenant bond with another person. You're closer to that person than any other human being to become one. Promising to be faithful to one another, not just physically, but also in terms of special giving to one another. You, you tell your spouse things you wouldn't tell other people. There's that special closeness. And, and you should be zealous or jealous over that relationship. And protect it. Now imagine if your spouse was very close, very close friendship with another person of the opposite sex. And say they were maybe texting each other a lot and it was a very close, intimate relationship. Perhaps the relationship was a bit too close. It would be more than understandable for that person to feel jealous in certain, in that situation. Why? Because that closeness, that, uh, that bond that really should be for man and wife is being given to another person. No jealousy. If somebody didn't care, you might think, well, oh, they, they don't mind at all. They don't care. Our God cares about what is his. He cares about his glory. And he cares deeply about his relationship with his people. He is jealous, or you can also translate it zealous, for what is his. So it's a very positive thing. This jealousy is not something negative. We should not see it in any way negative. This is a very positive thing because he's being very jealous over something that's very, very good. His glory belongs to him and him alone. And he is jealous over it. He shows his jealousy and zealousy in the commandments. It says here in Exodus chapter 20 verses 4 to 6. You shall not make for yourself a carved image. Any likeness of anything that is in the heaven above. 
or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing mercy to those who love me and keep my commandments. Now you see that, that jealousy and that zealousy over that special intimate relationship which God's people have with their Father in heaven. Don't bring another before my face, literally it's saying in the commandments. You shall not make any carved image. You shall not bring another in place of me. In that special bond that we are to have. He's jealous over that. And that's what an idol is, friends. An idol is something receiving that special religious worship and intimacy that really only should be given to God. That special service and love. But he also shows his zealousy in showing mercy to thousands who love him. This commandment calls for faithfulness in our covenant with God. Because that is what idolatry is. It is unfaithfulness to our God. We must also care deeply, as God does, for God's glory. Because what would it say if we didn't care about the glory of God? (coughs) If we had no interest. If the glory of God is mocked, it should grieve us. If, If the glory of God, if God is not glorified, it it grieves us. Are you here this morning to glorify God? For his name's sake, or are you, perhaps, you could be here for yourself. It's possible to come among God's people, but you may come for all the wrong reasons. You may come for yourself. You may come just to merely feel better. And you may do so by trusting in Christ. But you don't come for that reason. You come to glorify God. So jealous for his glory. Now number two. We're going to look at judgment for his glory. Judgment for his glory. God will not ignore the sin of the wicked. Because he's zealous for his own glory. This is not something we like to think about, is it? You know, the judgment or the justice of God. This is something that we, it's not pleasant as we, as we share the gospel with loved ones, perhaps family who don't know the Lord. We don't like to think about this. It says in verse 2, God is jealous and the Lord avenges. The Lord avenges and is furious. The Lord will take vengeance on his adversaries and he reserves wrath for his enemies for his enemies there is a time though that we all like to think about justice Uh, you know those big court cases you hear about these horrible crimes and everyone is giving out about them everyone has the same opinion i cannot believe he did name the serious crime a violent crime something that horrifies all of society And what is everybody crying out for in the media? Justice. They want judgment. A righteous 
punishment for that person who has done such a horrible crime. But what would happen if the judge either gave a very weak or no sentence at all to a very serious or violent crime? Again, the media would be in outrage. They would think, I can't believe, does the judge care about justice at all? He He knows all about this terrible crime, but he does nothing. We would be all angry. I can't believe that was the judgment he came. You know, a year in prison, six months in prison, that's not long enough. It should be much longer. This is when we like to think about justice. When we see the horror of the crime. If a judge didn't carry out such a, a, a judgment or didn't punish as a crime ought to be punished, everybody would think that judge is very unloving and very callous. Does he not care about that criminal, the, the damage he has done, uh, the, the victims he has? You know, in court cases, there's um, a victim impact statement. Why? Because the, the, the harm and the hurt done matters. It matters. What the judge does tells us a lot about him. The judgment carried out by, the, by this great judge tells us about him. And why we, we don't like to think about it sometimes, we also have to think about God is just. He will do what is right every single time. He's not like us. Sometimes as parents we may let things Slide, and we may not be as consistent as we always could be, or whatever. He's not like us. He is perfect and righteous and wise in all his decisions. He will not look away corruptly and ignore his glory in judgment. God's glory is seen in his judgment. His hatred of sin is seen in his judgment. Why? The seriousness of the sin. If we consider the seriousness of the sin, we think he must judge, he must punish, or his glory is diminished. Otherwise, he is not that great God he claims to be. God hates sin as it is evil and abomination before him. And let us think about ourselves now. Let us think about ourselves. Do you see that we all deserve the wrath of God? It's not just the Ninevites from thousands of years ago. And they were a cruel, oppressive regime. It is you and I. It is you and I who have broken God's law. Our condemnation for our sin is deserved. But often we don't see the horror of the sin. Often we don't see it because we don't see how glorious and how beautiful and how wonderful Christ is. Because that is the one who we offend. The one we offend, the one whose law we break, makes it far worse, the crime. This is why hell is for all eternity. Because we, we, 
break the law of the one who is of infinite value. Infinite value. We hear of certain prison sentences for certain crimes. And the longer the prison sentence, the worse the crime. Well, this is for all eternity because of the one who we offend against. The horror of sin. And if you see this, you think God must be glorified. God must judge. And in being zealous and jealous for his glory, he brings what is here. Avenges. He is furious. He will take vengeance on his adversaries and he reserves wrath for his enemies. So, jealous, judgment for his glory. Now we're going to look at number three, patience for his glory. Patience for his glory. So we've looked at his judgment and how this, for his glory, it shows his justice. It shows that he is just and he does righteously. But verse 3 shows his great patience. His great patience. It says in verse 3, The Lord is slow to anger and great in power and will not at all acquit the wicked, but slow in anger. Slow to anger. He can judge whenever he so chooses in, in the time that pleases him. It's, it, his power does not hold him back in any way. But why is he slow to anger? We have to think again. All that God does is to glorify himself. Ephesians chapter 1 verses 11 and 12. In him also we have obtained an inheritance. Being predestined according to the purpose of him. Who works all things according to the counsel of his will. That we who first trusted in Christ. Should be to the praise of his glory. To the praise of his glory. He shows his judgment when he pleases. And he is slow to anger. He is merciful. He is long suffering. The Lord is long suffering, it says in, in Numbers 14 18. The Lord is long suffering and abundant in mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgression. But he by no means clears the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children to the third and fourth generation. Long suffering and abundant in mercy. In showing this attribute, in showing his. He's long-suffering. It gives us another reason, doesn't it? To worship Him. How He is so patient with us. I came to know the Lord when I was 24 years old. I was only 25. And how the Lord was patient with me, a sinner, for 24 years. As I showed Him nothing but contempt up until that point. And the only way I came to Him at all was because He gave me a new heart. Isn't it amazing? He's so patient with us. And he also, when he does convert us, it is all of him. It is all of grace. It is all of his mercy. He took pity upon us. He was compassionate to sinners who did not seek him out. Shouldn't this drive us to worship him? All of this is for his glory. He could, if he wanted to, have ended humanity right after Adam had sinned. What did Adam and Eve deserve from God? 
for breaking his law. People often say, well, why is there so much suffering in the world? Why do we have to deal with all these things? Well, I didn't do what Adam did. But, um, but think about this for a second. Think of the patience and the long-suffering and the mercy of God in allowing us for thousands of years to be on this earth. Breaking his law. And yet he is merciful to us. Even the person has not yet come to Christ. And is still on this earth. Has a degree of grace. Not saving grace. Any good thing. The sunshine and the rain. And all these things we have on this earth. It is by God's grace and mercy. He owes us nothing. The Lord is abundant in mercy. The Assyrian Empire here. Under this judgment spoken about in our text, how many hundreds of years? How many hundreds of years was God long-suffering? We talked about the gap of time between the book of Jonah and this book of Nahum. And the, if you read the histories about the Assyrians, it's, it's hard reading, I'll be honest. It's hard reading. You kind of wince at some of the things that they would do to their enemies. And yet, hundreds of years passed. He's slow to anger. It, it, it boggles the mind, doesn't it? We, some of us can barely wait five minutes with our children. We, we kind of, you know, we get annoyed with them. It's like, why didn't they do that five minutes ago? We can barely last five minutes, but the Lord waits hundreds of years. He is slow. And he's perfectly good. And he's perfectly righteous. When he is angry, we're not. How many years has the gospel of Christ been in this area? How many hundreds of years? We can take it for granted, can't we? We can think, oh, well, there's been churches that go back hundreds of years. Surely it will continue on into the future in the same way. No, 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 friends. We cannot take these things for granted. The Lord is slow to anger. But his patience is not. There'll come a point where his patience will run out with sinners. We cannot take for granted the Lord's compassion and his mercy and his patience with sinners. His patience is not endless. His patience is not endless. There are parts of the world where the gospel flourished and no longer does. If we continue to entertain LGBT Rebellion. If we continue to move away from faithful preaching in this part of the world. A part of the world that the Lord is richly blessed. Richly blessed. If we continue to spoil the next generation. And not teach them in the way of the Lord. If we continue to neglect prayer. His patience will run out. He, is glorified. he will be glorified in all the things that he does. He will be glorified. But let us not think, oh, it's been hundreds of years here. Even Assyria was allowed to remain for hundreds of years. Number four now, we're going to look at powerful for his glory. Powerful for his glory. So jealous, judgment, three patience. Number four now, powerful for his glory. Nahum... Three, you're going to start in the middle of the verse. Uh, Nahum 1, 3. 
Down to verse 6. The Lord has his way in the whirlwind and in the storm. And the clouds are the dust of his feet. He rebukes the sea and makes it dry and dries up all the rivers. Bashan and Carmel wither. And the flower of Lebanon wilts. The mountains quake before him. The hills melt. And the earth heaves at his presence. Yes, the world and all who dwell in it. Who can stand before his indignation? And who can endure the fierceness of his anger? His fury is poured out like fire. And the rocks are thrown down by him. God is all powerful from age to age. His power does not wane in any way, shape or form. It does not increase because it could not be any greater. From eternity past to eternity future, he will never change in his power and in his glory. He is in control over the largest wars. He's in control over the conflict that is taking place now between Russia and Ukraine. But he's also in control of the seemingly small things in life. The aches and pains of life that perhaps you are carrying here with you this morning. All things that God is in control of. He, he brings all, he guides all, he directs all. And without him, nothing would be here. Without him, you would not be here this morning. Without him, nothing would exist. And he is control, because of all this, he maintains everything. He has control over what we would call uncontrollable. Uncontrollable. Uh, the second half of Nahum 1.3. The Lord has his way in the whirlwind and in the storm. And the clouds are the dust of his feet. Man would love to be able to stop storms, wouldn't they? And control the weather. I've, I read an article there that they're trying to do different things to control the weather. I think they fail miserably most of the time. And man is constantly frustrated to even predict the weather. Um, if you live long enough on this island, you know what that's like. Um, if you go out on a sunny day, bring an umbrella. That's Ireland. Expect the unexpected. That's the weather. That's what he's talking about. The Lord has his way in the whirlwind. In the whirlwind and in the storm. We, we see news reports, don't we, of hurricanes, and they're scary. You know, people just get inside their house and they don't leave. They run, they duck, they hide. Not God. Not God. We do not control the weather, good or bad. We do not have our way, but God does. Imagine the power. Imagine the power it takes to dry the sea. He rebukes the sea and makes it dry. Now, yes, it is a picture, but it is showing the power that he has. He has spoken the sea into existence. And at his rebuke, he can remove it. But the power on display here. The power. This is who our God is. He maintains all. His word, his commandment, because 
His word is powerful. Let us think about the power of the word of God. Let there be light. And there was light at the beginning of creation. That's how powerful God's word is. His will is powerful. It is irresistible. It is irresistible. It's, it's amazing. God has control of every aspect of life. He commands the seas to move to a certain point and no further. And every aspect of creation obeys him. Except for us. We question if we should obey God or not. It should make us think, shouldn't it? Everything obeys him. The sun, the moon, the stars. Everything goes in the right order. Everything obeys him. Except for us. And he is merciful to us. The seas themselves are at his mercy. He talks about Bashan and Carmel. Bashan was famous for rich pasture lands. Rich pasture lands. And it says, and also Carmel is known for its beauty and amazing countryside. And what does it say here? Bashan and Carmel wither. Any of the beauty you see in the countryside, we should give glory to God for that. Because it is by him. You can take it away just as quickly. The, Ireland, if he so chose, he could make it into a barren wasteland. And he's like, no, no, it rains too much here. This is always going to happen. It happens because God allows it to happen. Everything we have good in this world, everything we have good, that we have a wonderful countryside. I think we take it for granted a lot here, probably because the weather isn't always brilliant. But we have a wonderful, we have so much of nature to enjoy and things like that. And for years I took nature for granted, but I think we should, with all these things, enjoy it and give glory to God for it. All these wonderful things, but they're there by the grace of God. And this shows the power he has. He can take it away just as quickly. All of this depends on his will, and he can remove it at his will. Verse 5, the mountains quake before him. The hills melt. Even the mountains have you ever tried to pick a fight with a mountain? It wouldn't, wouldn't, you know, it wouldn't go very well. These great, immovable structures, mighty mountains, you know, we think of mountains, you think of strength. You think of something that cannot possibly be moved. They don't stand a chance against God. Uh, verse 6 says, Who can stand before his indignation? When he judges, he shows his power. It's not that he becomes more powerful or less powerful. He shows who he is. This is the power at his disposal. This is the power that he has. He has power over all. But he reveals it as he so chooses to do so. To bring glory to himself. Again, all these things for his glory. To see an all-powerful God. And the Assyrians were going to taste what it was like to go before the real power of heaven and earth. The Assyrians at that time thinking they are the most powerful rulers upon the earth. And look, humanly speaking, they were the biggest empire. They were modern day equivalent would probably be America. And I no doubt the Amer- Americans and as, as we, we did in Britain years ago thinking the sun will always set upon our Empire, the world changes. It's not in our hands. The world changes and it's all in God's hands. It's all in God's hands. And it should make us think of where the true power is. We can think that the power lies in 
in our MLAs, our politicians. And look, there, there's times it's good to petition them and call them. Here is what the word of God says. Here's what your responsibility before God. That's great. But which do we petition more? God or political activism? You see, unless God changes their hearts, it's all for nothing. He directs even the hearts of unbelieving kings. He's in control of all things. We so often downplay in our minds, don't we? We, we, we downplay the power of God. And often it can, it can show in our prayer life. Who, uh, before we work, before we do our daily work, do we pray? Oh, but I've got so much to do. You've no idea how much I, I have on today. Yes, that's even more reason to pray. That's an even greater reason to pray, maybe for longer, and cry out to God for the help, the grace to do what you need to do for the day ahead. And our final point this morning is purity for his glory. So we've looked at jealous for his glory, judgment for his glory, patience for his glory, powerful for his glory. And the final point, purity for his glory. Purity for his glory. Verses 7 and 8. The Lord is good. A stronghold in the day of trouble. And he knows those who trust in him. But with an overflowing flood. He will make an utter end of its place. And darkness will pursue his enemies. The Lord is good. The Lord is good. Sometimes you'll see in court cases. People will go back to court again. Nothing to do with whether a person will go to prison or not. But sometimes people will go to court again to vindicate or to clear their name. You've seen these things in, in the courts. They'll say, well, why are you contesting this? I want to clear my name. I want to show people I am not guilty of whatever I've been accused of. The, the reputation is at stake. And as the enemies of God come against God and his people, this is what the Assyrians are doing. By now they've already attacked Judah during the, the reign of Hezekiah. And they have come against the people of God. As they have challenged God's supremacy. As they have challenged God's supremacy. King Sennacherib, king of Assyria, Isaiah 37, mocks any thought of trusting in the God of heaven and earth to deliver them from the hands of the Assyrians. As they're challenging this, God shows through his mighty deeds that he is good. That he is good. In the day of trouble, in the day of trouble, God is the safest place to be. His presence, his blessing, his covenant. That is, that is where we are to be. The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. The Lord is good. And do we believe this? Do we believe this? Because so often the world can say, well, why did God do that? If we do not believe that he is good, and what he does here in judgment and everything is for his glory, showing that he is morally pure, vindicating and showing that he is against what is evil, we do not see that he is good sin will not grieve us sin will not be seen as something evil to us 
when the Lord converted me, one of the things that He showed me was His goodness. His goodness. How often people say, oh, they're, they're happy to admit, oh, I'm not perfect, I'm a sinner. But what they don't see is that God is good. Because the one that they offend is not the one they love. They don't see him as good. Sin is against God. And a good judge shows his integrity. He shows his purity, his moral character by the decisions he makes. By protecting those who are righteous. Now righteous in Christ. And judging those who are wicked and evil. Those who take refuge in him, those who seek safety, will not face this wrath. This wrath is against the Assyrians. Will not be poured out upon any who take refuge in the Lord. Verse 7 once again. The Lord is good. A stronghold or a refuge. We think of refugees in the news lately. Asylum seekers. There is Protection and peace here with God. A stronghold in the day of trouble. And the day of our death is a day of trouble. If we're not in Christ. We must have this protection that only God can give. That only God can give. And we think about what we should think about as well. Because but for the grace of God we are just as wicked and as guilty as, as these Assyrians been spoken about here. How is it possible that God can justly and righteously show mercy upon us who are sinners? Well, because of what Christ has provided. His life. He's provided perfect righteousness. So that when we stand before him, he doesn't see a broken law. He sees a perfect law kept. His death, payment for sin. He has provided What is needed to wash us clean from our sins. He has given us his body. Nourishing us by his word. Sanctifying us daily. And Jesus Christ provides all these things. He provides all that is necessary for our salvation. Beginning, middle and the end. If you're a Christian here this morning. Do not fear that you will drift away from him. Now we should hate sin. We should stay close to him because we love him. But he is the one who keeps you. You do not keep yourself. He provides all that is needed. He will protect you. He will keep you in this refuge. And he will keep you safe if you have trusted in him. Blessed are the pure in heart. For they shall see God. Matthew 5, 8. Because of his purity, he will deliver the righteous in Christ, but he will also bring an end to the unrighteous. Verse 8, but with an overflowing flood, he will make an utter end of its place in darkness. Misery. Joylessness, everything else that comes with darkness will pursue his enemies. God does all these things for his glory. I think when we, when we look at a text like this, we're tempted, a bit like the rabbit in the headlights. We just see the judgment, don't we? We struggle to see the grace in these passages, I think, many a time. But because of the judgment, the grace of God sings so much more loudly because of what he delivers us from. 
God does all these things for his glory. God will be glorified in all these things. And are you here this morning jealous or zealous for his glory? Or are you jealous for your own? The one who is jealous for their own has not bowed the knee to Christ, has not turned from his sin or her sin to Christ. Dear believer, do you see what you've been delivered from? This is not just talking about the Assyrians. This is the danger we think about. Oh, that's not talking about me. That's fine. I'm okay. But for the grace of God, that's us. But for the grace of God, that fury, that righteous anger would be poured out on us too. And that's another reason to praise him. We don't like to think about these things, but we should because it shows us what we've been saved from. It shows us the the depths of the mercy and it shows us what Christ endured for us. Each and every one of us in Jesus Christ. But perhaps you're here this morning and you don't have a refuge in Jesus Christ. God is good. The Lord is good. And he's a stronghold for all those who will flee from that city of destruction and will run. Remember Pilgrim's Progress through the wicked gate and have their burden removed by looking to the cross of Jesus Christ. Amen.